This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. So if you read a headline, and you can go to globalnews.ca right now, and you can actually read an actual headline, but if you read a headline that says, Government wants to protect details of RCMP raid on Montreal company linked to China. You look at that and immediately you say, hmm, what's going on here? What do you mean? What do you mean the government wants to protect details of a raid? What details could they have to protect? And this company's linked to China. Well, well, what could that mean? Well, that's something that Sam Cooper and Stuart Bell are doing their best to unearth. And they've done some excellent reporting so far on what this story means and have been able to give at least a little bit of context to this headline. And joining us right now is Global News reporter Sam Cooper to talk about it. Sam, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's even just start with breaking down the headline. This RCMP raid on a Montreal company, what do we know about that? Uh, you're right. It's a, it's a very complex story. What we know is that the U.S. government has alleged that there's a, a, a complex, sophisticated international scheme that uh, involved uh, a former McGill University professor, Mr. Yixiang Shi, his brother in California, also connected to a university there, and a number of individuals uh, offshore, uh, uh, a British Virgin Islands shell company, Hong Kong banking, in very simplified details, uh, money coming in from offshore into Canada and the United States for the purpose of buying very, uh, very sensitive military application technology in the United States, sending uh, these circuits back up to Canada and then over to a factory in China so that allegedly uh, missile guidance technology, cellular technology could be made and purposed for the use of China's military because China's military was blocked out of international markets from buying these uh, high-tech items for national security reasons. That's it in a nutshell. And the development here is that, uh, as you as you said off the top, Canada's government for... Um, supposed national uh, security or international relations reasons wants to block information about what the RCMP seized in the Montreal high-tech business of this professor at the request of the FBI. The case is ongoing. Uh, we can we can tell your, uh, your listeners that uh, the brother down in California has been convicted of 18 charges. Uh, the brother in Montreal is not charged under any Canadian laws, but the U.S. is uh, seeking to extradite him. And this case, uh, it rolls up a, a lot of the themes that I've been looking at, but in very brief, we're talking about money laundering and allegedly... You know the espionage that, for the purposes of building China's military. Boy, this is a cure for writer's block for anybody who's working on a movie script right now and thinking, you know, I'd, I want to do something with with kind of a, a money laundering angle and the FBI getting involved. Maybe maybe it could be an international incident. This reads that way, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And for your listeners that have checked in on, on a couple of my stories, they'll know that these are themes that, that I'm following. The convergence of, you know, elements of uh, espionage, high technology, people that could be recruited or, or used by China's military. Sometimes we see the connections. Whenever there's money laundering, we know that underground networks, including organized crime and intelligence, can be involved. 
And look, to, to, to boil this down, absolutely. In the United States, they're cracking down on what they call is very broad espionage related to researchers that have been recruited or used by China's military. Australia's cracking down. Canada is not, but uh, the FBI is opening a counterintelligence uh, investigation every 11 hours, they say. And so clearly, here's the indication where the FBI has asked for some assistance from the RCMP in this case. And, you know, I can tell you that uh, Western intelligence believes that Canada, similar to the, uh, to, uh, the Australian uh, universities and U.S. Uh, universities, have a very big problem with foreign espionage. Global News reporter Sam Cooper joining us. You can read this at globalnews.ca right now. Bringing details to light on things like that. Sam, before we go, and thanks for the rundown of where things sit, but how challenging is it to go and find these details and then you know get your sources and, and then be able to tell this story? What's that like? Well, it's it's very challenging. And one thing I shouldn't forget for your listeners is we have found that uh, this professor in Montreal was working with Canada's Space Agency, Canada's Army, and the National Research Council, the most sensitive areas of Canada's government. So we have a feeling, I, I, I suppose, that whatever was found in this Montreal raid could relate to those types of uh, work relationships. It's difficult to get that information because Canada's government uh, will cite national security, national, international relations. We can use access to information law, but uh, I can tell you that uh, it's very easy to get blocked with those secrecy applications, not to mention if you're an FBI lawyer. They'll have problems of their own, and uh, but they have it easier than we do in the media. And is it like pleading the fifth in the United States, where if they don't want to tell, they can just throw up one of those roadblocks and then that's it? They can protect those details? I'll give you a quick example. I, I have reported on what, what uh, my investigation alleged was a, a Chinese, a successful Chinese military operation to steal secrets from Nortel and take that company down. I do have indications that there was a very large-scale bugging operation on Nortel's campus, a building taken over by Canada's military. We know there are security concerns there, but my, my information requests are being blocked along those sort of high-level uh, confidential material national security applications. Now, is this a story you expect to be able to expand on and follow beyond where it is now? The, the Montreal professor story, absolutely, and I'll tell you why. Because we know that the U.S. government has a lot of investigators and assets behind that case. It's not done. And uh, they, they have stated clearly that they plan to crack down on what they call the greatest uh, transfer of wealth, one of the greatest transfers of wealth in human history. They're alleging that the Chinese government has very broad uh, intellectual property theft campaigns ongoing. And I know we'll read more about Canadian cases through U.S. law enforcement. Well, Sam, thank you for following this. Thank you for putting it into the words that you have for such a complex story and uh, continued success on this. Thank you. That is Sam Cooper, Global News reporter. So government looking to protect details of a particular raid done by the RCMP on a Montreal company linked to China. But then this gets bigger in that access to data in being able to get that. When we talk with Dr. Thomas Cook, as we do on a regular basis, this is the kind of thing that you look at. How do you protect that data? And it's not just on a personal level. 
it, this is on a much larger scale. And then you look at how much it's worth. You look at the transfer of wealth that Sam talks about. And this does read like a movie script only. Sam's got evidence, and there's other evidence that other reporters are using that show, no, no, this this is not fictional. Nobody is sitting down in front of a word processor and banging this out and thinking, you know, who could play guy number three on the left? Uh, I didn't, could we get Bradley Cooper for that? Nobody's doing that. This this is a real thing. Yeah. Suffering with pain is a very real thing. And there are different reasons why people may suffer from different types of pain, but all of them are reasons that you wish you could just take and make go away. You just Could we just get rid of whatever is at the root of whatever pain we are experiencing? But very rarely do we get an opportunity to look at a big picture for pain. Fortunately, this afternoon, we are going to get that opportunity. Dr. Anna Zajakova joins us, Associate Professor and Graduate Chair in the Department of Sociology at Western University. Dr. Zajakova, thank you so much. How are you? Um, hi. Uh, please address Ms. Anna, and I'm great. Thanks so much for having me back on. All right. Well, Annie, you've earned your doctorate, so I, I'll address <laughs> you as doctor any kind, anytime I can. But for the, the purposes of our conversation, all right, I will address you as Anna. And maybe we should start, Anna, with pain and, and a large picture problem. We rarely look at the large picture because pain is something that if you are suffering from it is very individualistic. When we look at a larger picture of pain, what do we start to see? Indeed, that's a really good point. Uh, people, when they suffer with pain, as we all or most of us have done or watch our loved ones do, uh, just just see it sort of as a personal, individual, subjective. Um, and then when you look at medical research, right, they, oftentimes this is also fairly sort of zeroed in on a particular type of pain, et cetera. But in sociology and demography, we like to look at populations as such, and we try to understand what is the burden of pain. Has it been going up or down? Uh, within population, who is more likely to suffer with pain? So those are the types of questions that, that we get to look at. Okay, so in in taking a look at, at all of the data that would come from that, we could break this down in any number of ways. Why don't we maybe start with uh, something simple like gender? What do we see when we break down pain in a big picture, and gender. Well, uh, I don't know whether you did it at random, but you picked one of the most interesting comparisons that, that's out there. Um, very often when you uh, talk to people, they tend to think women bear pain better. They're, they're better at pain and withstanding it. Well, it turns out that if there is one uniform finding across all pain research, it's that women... Uh, have report experience more pain than men. And this is actually not just among humans, but in, in uh, laboratory research, female, um, say female rats, are also apparently more sensitive to pain than, than males. So um, whether we are looking at, you know, whatever populations, this is true in Canada, in the U.S., in Europe, everywhere we look, women have significantly more pain uh, than men 
of almost every uh, type of pain. Not not for everything, but certainly you know things like um, headaches, migraines, um, much more uh, joint pain more than men. Isn't that remarkable? I mean, the, the fact that you'd see that much of a divided line does that surprise you? Well, uh, I I'm at this point sort of so used to that finding that I I. I it's it's hard to remember that moment of surprise, but yes, it is. It is. I would say, um, you know, surprising. Uh, com- you know, relative to what people sometimes expect. And what is really interesting is, it's not entirely clear why this is. When we look at populations, um, there are any number of reasons um, having to do with the lives of sort of other social factors that influence men's lives versus women's lives, their gender roles in the family, in the workplace, um, the willingness to report pain um, to investigators. Um, you know, there's certainly very strong masculinity uh, norms against experiencing, feeling, and complaining about pain. So there's a whole number of cultural, structural, and potentially biological factors uh, that that may be playing a role in, in this disparity. We don't quite know exactly the full story yet. Isn't that wild? Well, the study continues. The research continues. We're talking with Anna Zajakovic, and we are talking about pain, and pain from a widespread perspective and Dr. Zajakova is an associate professor and graduate chair in the Department of Sociology at Western. In terms of age, if we're to to go into age, we always think the older we get the more pain we're going to have to put up with. Does the research back that up or does it show something different? Well, another great question. Um, So in this case we both uh, for once uh, see what we would expect and then there is a paradox yet again, our mystery. So the part that we would expect is that indeed, on average, when you look at older adults, they experience more pain, uh, more chronic pain of almost any type compared to younger adults. And again, this is true across the populations, whether you look in Canada, US, uh, etc. The uh, unexpected part is that when you look at population surveys, uh, you see that increase in pain levels as people get older. And then something odd happens when we look at adults, older adults, maybe past the 60s, 70s. They no longer report more pain. They report oftentimes less pain than their, say, 65-year-old peers. And, really? Um, this is, again, a fairly universal finding. And what we think may be going on, and in this case we, we sort of have a guess, um, is that it may have to do with uh, cohort differences. So people who are now in their 80s were born uh, you know, 15 years earlier than those who are now in their 70s. They're from different birth cohorts. And uh, the lives that they've lived, including the health conditions, health problems that might be causing their pain, are different. And they also lived under circumstances that um, uh, regulated their experience and reporting of pain. So uh, oftentimes, historically, especially for men, complaining about pain was a no-no. And so 
we think that maybe part of this this apparent decline in pain among oldest adults may have to do with the norms that they uh, have internalized about how to report pain. And then at the very oldest ages, there also may be physiological reasons why pain is perceived maybe less um, acutely or, or, or uh, less, you know, is less salient. So right. here we, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, again, uh, uh, factors that may be playing a role in, in this mystery. But one of them might just be that they are so-called tougher because of what they've gone through or because you just you just sucked it up right you just you just sucked it up yes uh-huh. <laughs> that's um, amazing yeah. and there is there is not a whole lot of research yet on this and we're uh, actually starting a research that will hopefully address some of these uh, uh some of these potential cultural ex- uh, uh, inputs um, into pain reporting and experiencing Dr. Anna Zajakova with us, Associate Professor and Graduate Chair in the Department of Sociology at Western University. Dr. Zajakova, maybe just one more thing in terms of how you study pain, because even as you've illustrated, it may be one thing to one person and the same type of pain may not be the, you know, the same for another person. So how do you end up studying this? Great question. Um... You know, not easily. <laughs> um, when it comes to chronic pain, everything is pretty complex, even even its very definition, right? Uh, uh, you know, if, if you, we all know what pain is, but but could you define it? You know, if, if, if 50 listeners called in with their definitions, they would have 50 different definitions. Measurement of pain, and, and at some point I can I can talk about what what the official definition is, and it's not super helpful. Um, the way that we measure the, the pain in population studies uh, is always based in large, uh, large surveys. So a lot of people, when I say lot, I mean somewhere between tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people get asked a lot of questions among those questions about pain. And those questions tend to come in two different flavors. Either people are asked, in general, are you troubled with pain? And people say yes, no, or maybe they have a, a little bit more options to respond. Or we ask people, uh, have you experienced pain in, and then they get a list of body sites, such as joints, low back, neck, um, headaches, etc. So a lot of people answer these fairly basic questions, um, and that's how we get these population-level pictures about what's going on. But, of course, you probably can see that the weakness of this is that we don't actually get a lot of depth uh, of, of information about, you know, how much pain, how much does it interfere with daily life, etc. So um, we're, again, starting to develop studies that will hopefully uh, get a little bit more depth um, about, you know, about the, the, the pain that people are experiencing. Well, keep tabs with us, Anna, on those studies, and we'll talk about them when more of them come out. But this has been fascinating to discuss this this afternoon. Thank you so much for the time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Mike. Keep safe. You too. Bye-bye. That is Dr. Anna Zajakova on studying pain. Not an easy thing to do, but an important thing to do. And one of the things that we didn't even get into was some of the trends you see in socioeconomic status or from country to country. So we'll talk with Dr. Zajakova again, and we'll get into some of that, and then certainly we'll watch as those studies come up.
So the music world has certainly been a challenging place. We've talked to all kinds of people, Kim Mitchell, Jim Cuddy, who've told us those things. And when you are all set to release your first ever solo LP, and then all of a sudden COVID hits, and it gets put on hold for a second, but then you have an idea for an EP, a much smaller set of tracks, and you decide to go ahead with that in the spirit of what we're all going through, and now have both of them set to come out, you're a guy by the name of Andrew Ferris. And he, of course, became famous as a member of NXS and is now going solo, going a bit country, and we had a chance to talk with him from Australia just a little while ago and kicked off the interview asking him how things were going in Australia. Yeah, for uh, Andrew Farris here in Australia, they're going okay. Thank you. I, I, I'm doing better than some people are. Yeah, we have this crazy pandemic, right, Mike? Yeah, we're we're kind of experiencing that too. As far away as, as you and I are, you know, you guys are heading into summer. We're just coming out of summer. Uh, worlds are kind of upside down a little bit, but we're all experiencing that from the same angle, aren't we? Yeah, that's it. And, you know, the healthcare workers around the world are, you know, I don't envy them. Uh, you know, I, I hope they're all okay, too. And, uh, well, I hope everybody's okay. But, uh, you know, and I guess something, one thing I, I see that tends to be common, uh, I, you know, I'm married to an American girl. Uh, we live in Australia now. But, um, you know, for her folks uh, back to home there, uh, you know, it's, you know, they, they work in the health industry, too. And, uh, yeah, it's a really tricky uh, little time we're all going through. And, uh, but... Speaking of the pandemic, I had started to release my LP. I had released a single called Come Midnight and then a second one called Good Mama Bad. And around about that time, uh, the pandemic kicked in and the record label, which is BMG or uh, Broken Bow Records out of Nashville, they recommended, you know, I just sort of hold on for a minute and just see where the thing was going. Well, after a while, it just got worse, right? the whole pandemic you know so then i began to think about it more and i went back to them and i had some other tracks besides my lp that i that i had recorded but they didn't suit the lp you know the style of what i was doing exactly so i said to the record label look i've got this ep idea uh, would you guys be interested in putting this thing out and they said that's a great idea let's do it and i was surprised <laughs> i thought they'd say no go away we're busy or something you know because, um, you see, everybody went home. You know, everyone's been at home, isolating and, you know. But they said, no, I think that's a really good idea. Let's do it. So uh, I have a five-track EP now. It's kind of strange about this aspect of it is obviously, you know, people would know me if they know me at all as mainly the main songwriter for an excess. So that was my main focus. And we, you know, as a band, you know, we had, a, NXS had our own unique sound, I think. And, you know, we worked in 52 countries. We had a huge, uh, you know, career thing. And I think what happened was during all that time, yeah, I was being a fan of country music and lots of different genres of music, actually, not just country. But particularly what I like about, especially old school country, was the songwriting. As a songwriter, that's what pushed all my buttons was the songs. And so even during the NXS years, even at the height of the band's career, I was still working on songs that had nothing to do with the style of those particular albums. And so 
when I started thinking more about releasing my own music, I realized when I went back and looked through a lot of my older songs, I thought, well, you know, it's interesting. They didn't suit in excess, but they sure suit what I want to do now. Uh, and so that was where I'm at, you know. Um, I've got a longer version of that story if you want to hear it, but <laughs> that's kind of the short version of it. Yeah. Well, your songwriting is phenomenal, always has been. And whether you're doing a pop track, you. whether you're doing something deep, it's it's there is something that, that really hits with so many of your songs. If we're to look at the writing of these songs, is this something that that came as as easy as some of the other ones did? Were these songs maybe a, a little more personal? Where did they come from? Yeah, that's interesting. Well, for the songs on that particular EP that I'm doing now, they are really more to do, I think they're more relevant with what we're all experiencing with the pandemic. And that's where I began to realize when I, I started to think, well, what songs would I want to put out in that right now? And I looked at the state of the world, and that's why I've called my EP Love Makes the World. Because at the moment, the only thing that's going to get us through the pandemic is caring about each other. I know that sounds really soppy and whatever, you know, like a real tearjerker statement or something, but it's true. The only thing that's going to get us all through this is caring about one another. You know, it's not about money. It's not about, you know, it's just about. And so I've called my EP Love Makes the World. And, and the songs, uh, all of the songs on the EP, Tears in the Rain, uh, is really about you know the, the environment on the earth. Uh, my brother's about caring for for the person next to you, including you know people who aren't here anymore. Uh, the third track is "Love Makes the World." It's a story about the cycle of life. You know, you meet someone, you you fall hopelessly in love with them, and then at some point it has to end. It doesn't mean the love has to end, but you know that's just life. And then. Uh, the fourth track is uh, All Stars of Mine. Well, that's about how different we all are in the world as people, but really we're all the same. You know, um, you know, you know that that's just the way it is. You know, we, and that, and the beauty of it is we are all slightly different as people. That's the beautiful thing about it. You know, we're not robots. We're not clones. You know, we 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 are all slightly different than each other, and I think that's what makes it amazing. Um, and number five is uh, First Man on Earth, which really talks about the interaction now between us as organic, you know, humans with technology. That's what the last song is about. Are you someone who comes up with lyrics before you hear something in your head that is, is going to translate to whether it's, you know, a melody or, or something that will become the song? Yes. Yeah, you know what, Mike? I've worked every which way when it comes to writing songs. I've done that, sure. I've, you know, I've written lyrics first. Other times I just work off a groove. Sometimes I've got a riff. Sometimes I've just got chords. And sometimes I just, uh, you know, it'll be an emotion. You know, I feel like a certain thing or whatever. Uh, and then I try to articulate whatever it is that all means. But I think uh, a lot of what this particular EP is, as I just said, is for the five tracks on this EP that's coming out on October 2nd, it's really a statement in my mind about how I can express what I think we're all going through. 
for me at the moment, you know. Um, yeah. Andrew Ferris joining us from Australia. We're, we're at a stage of so much reflection and introspection. This, this is fantastic stuff to guide us in that way. So thanks for doing that. Sure. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm just going to say one more thing too, is that you, you'd asked me before about the Inexcess kick album and all that. Mm -hmm. That was a wonderful, there, that was a wonderful and amazing, you know, just the, every, you know, it's like at that point, you know, it's like the universe aligned with everything that NXS was doing back then. Uh, you know, the NXS band members gave Michael Hutchinson and myself the sort of the keys to the to the spaceship, if you like, and said, "Look, why don't you guys write all the songs on Kick?" And we said, "Sure," um, you know, because I think we'd have might have a, a better chance of really, you know, kicking that ball through the goalposts. So. You know, and which is exactly what we went and did. Um, and I want to think back on it. It sounds real easy as I'm talking to you, but I remember Michael and I were actually pretty anxious about it at the time because that responsibility when you're in a band is a funny kind of thing. You know, because bands can be competitive and people get, you know, well, bands bands can be funny things, you know. And um, but we really appreciated Michael and I, the fact that the other guys in the band, my brothers and, and Kirk and Gary, you know, had acknowledged that, that they wanted us to do that. And, and we felt we needed to give them the album that they'd asked us to give them, if you know what I mean. And I think that's where, you know, I, where I think back on that, that's where I really miss Michael too, is the way that, you know, it was only me and him that probably would be able to say that to each other. You know, I remember when we got in the room, we we're like, you know, oh wow, careful what you wish for, because they're all going well. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's, let's hear it. You know, let's, you know, and then, but we did it. <laughs> you did. You know, um, we did it. Yeah, that's right. And we did it together as a band. You know, and that's the other thing. You know, that that album wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been that like that if the other guys hadn't been that open minded either. You know, so that's what makes human endeavors most successful when we work together not alone well said well you created on that album things that that the world had never heard before and things were done in the way it had never been done before now you've got new songs that you know that are capturing things that we never thought we'd think of so pretty amazing can i ask you one question i've always wondered this about kick and you mentioned you and michael going you know going together and, and doing it the song mediate that was that was something no one had ever heard but it worked you know, no one ever thought you you could have every word in the song rhyme with eight, but it but it did. Where did that come from? How did you write that? Yeah, you're right. I know. Uh, I think what it was was I began to the rhythm of that, and you know, it it has a slight kind of hip hop lean to it, and I and I you know like just like. I've always been a fan of different genres of music, including hip hop, R and B, and all kinds of things. And um, you know, so I wanted the the phrasing of it rather than I didn't want to try and how can I put this? I didn't want to try and sort of uh, copy what other people were doing. I just suddenly thought exactly what you said. Why don't I just make each each sort of syllable at the end of each word rhyme, and that way. I'll try to then have a stream of consciousness so that when I'm 
when I'm writing the lyric that people listen to it and they go, that's really weird, but it all makes sense when they listen to it, you know. Um, <laughs> I look, I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know how to tell you how I did that. I don't know. I, I mean, you know. Well, sometimes that's the mark of genius. You can't put it in words. So, Andrew, this has been this has been great. But for those people who pre-ordered my album, I just want to say thank you, and I hadn't forgotten about you. It's just like the pandemic, just like so many other things we're all experiencing. Well, that affected me and what I was doing, you know. But it will come out, and I hope you. Anyway, I hope you like this the EP and the LP. And thanks talking to me mike well yeah. keep safe and thanks so much for talking to us we really appreciate it take care andrew all right man bye-bye that is andrew ferris who has just put out his ep as an lp coming out and is branching into country formerly of in excess you've been listening to the london live podcast catch the show live on weekdays from one to three 